Uh, hi, welcome to The Mix 6. Uh, I'm Maddie, and I will be doing the cheers today. So I simply wanted to say cheers to the three of you for having Aww. me, Aww. for showing me a really good time with a lot of cheap alcohol and violent a sports. A self-seat right. serving cheers is that, the best kind. I love that. <laughs> Raise your glasses to how great I am. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the rest of you can be on the show, too, if you cheers to us. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is The Mix 6, where we occasionally have lovely guests from other countries, uh, where we occasionally drink beers, occasionally oh, rate them. Always drink beers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all the time is an occasion. That's true. You're yeah. absolutely right about that. Um, and uh, yeah, we just have six conversations about random stuff to fill the time in between swigging down bottles of beer. Yeah. Um, and we don't have much to cover. we probably back from Gen Con at this point, God willing. <coughs> Uh, God willing, and uh, party foul is trucking along in and, backer kit pre-orders, yeah, probably, so, yeah, hopefully, yeah. So we really don't got a whole lot except for our rating system, our rating system, and it's from your favorite raider, everybody. It's from Spencer. Here so we go. I can't wait to hear how this one goes. Here we go. So I took a break. Um, I let you jump in there, and honestly, things have gone pretty well for you. I mean, yeah. but for some negative feedback about your treatment of American idiot. Which I thought largely was justified. Truth, truth is comparative, right, and right. Uh, compared to the way you get reactions on rating systems, right. I'm going to argue it's 100 percent success. Yeah, that, no, that yes, that's exactly right. Gold medal, sir. <laughs> Apparently, um, I didn't fuck it up. Uh, yeah, no, you people loved yours, and the, but see, you got the benefit of attaching a GIF of Caleb also dying, <laughs> almost dying by firework. I don't get the benefits of like strong images or like. I mean, you could. I could, but I don't. <laughs> um, and and so I've decided to lean back into the swamp of hate. Uh, and this rating system today will be cheeses, because um, I got some thoughts on cheeses. Oh wow! Yeah, no, this is a mind. Let's field. do it. Let's fucking yeah. do it. Um, okay, so if you've been listening to this for the Mix 6 for any amount of time, you know that we rate our beers on a five-point scale, one being an awful beer that you never want to drink again, five being a beer that has changed beer for you in all the right ways. And so today, a one is goat cheese. Goat cheese is disgusting. When people offer me goat cheese on things, I want to throw up. Um, it is it is the worst flavor of any cheese in the history of cheeses. Um, what kind of gif would you put with this? <laughs> With this number one pick, I would put is a it, picture of someone throwing up near a goat and <laughs> cheese, and I would say those are all the things in. That's goat a very specific gift. Well, I yeah, mean, someone make that gift. By the way, okay. I will need <laughs> or, or don't. I would. I would put a picture of a goat like looking quizzically at the camera, and then like the sort of meme captions like "I can make cheese?" Question mark. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, I, I've seen a gift of a goat jumping on a sleeping dog, and the sleeping dog doesn't care. It's a li- it's a tiny little goat, so you know. <laughs> Like that. Yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with cheese. It has a goat. <laughs> this okay. has been gifts for us to see. My gift would be the, uh, would be the most popular. We're really scraping right. the bottom of the barrel for segments. Right. So we're just <laughs> yeah. going to describe things we've seen on the internet. Uh, goat cheese is terrible. I don't understand why people eat it. Um, number two, and honestly not far behind. So sometimes it's like one a major gap, then a two and the rest of the scale. Not true here. Um, feta is also terrible 
Feta is the armpit of cheese, and I know that because it tastes like sweaty armpit as cheese. When people offer me things with feta on them, I turn them down, sometimes kindly, sometimes not kindly. When people ask me if I'd like to go eat at a Greek establishment, my immediate thought is, do they or do they not serve feta? Because I don't want it near any of my other delicious food that might be contaminated by the taste and or scent of feta. So goat cheese is a one, feta is a two. Then we're getting into threes. Standard cheese. My, my gift for feta is just pit stain from Pete and Pete. With an arrow towards his pit stains. Feta. That just says feta. That's perfect. Remember Pete and Pete? That was a good show. I do remember Pete and Pete. Uh, <laughs> Pete and Pete was always like a little bit weird to me because like I thought the humor was funny, but none of my friends did. And I was like, wait, so is it not funny? Because you were better than them. Well, I don't I don't think it's that. <laughs> I think I was just like confused. Um, okay, three. So we're into like good beer. Like standard, run-of-the-mill, this is the thing you expected. It's cheddar. Like a block of cheddar cheese is just good. You know what? You can cut off a bite. You can just have a chunk of cheddar cheese. You can melt it on stuff. It's melted cheddar cheese. I don't really know how many ways I can put cheddar cheese on things, but every time I do, it's good because cheddar cheese is good. My gift for cheddar cheese is just that little jigsaw symbol that says you need to update your flash player. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now who's being unrelated about things? Yeah. I got it. It was yeah. abstract, but I understood it. <laughs> I would just have a white cracker because like, that's what you put on cheddar cheese. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Crack. Wait. You put that on cheddar cheese? Well, yeah. I, well, That's a unique way of viewing it. <laughs> first off, first off, you make cheese and crackers. The with cheese, cheese is the main dish for us. <laughs> right. The cracker is the sort of condiment right. garnish. Well, I mean, gee, like, oh boy, I really love that cracker. Like, it's excuse it, me, it's sir. Do you have a saltine? I'm kind of interested in the way you thought that. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Also, American cheese is what you use for cheese and crackers, yeah. not cheddar. Whatever. Well, um, okay, four. Now we're getting into the good stuff. This is a beer and or a cheese you want to have again, and you want to pair with other things frequently. Pepper Jack. Pepper Jack, or generally cheese with peppers in it. Like, we've been doing, like, a habanero cheese lately that's been pretty delicious. But Pepper Jack in particular. It works on everything. Throw it on some nachos. Throw it on some burgers. Throw it on a salad. Hell, just cut a chunk off. You got your cheese. You got your peppers. Pepper Jack is great. It's a gift, but not quite the gift that is the five. Extra sharp cheddar. Now, here's where things get really weird. Cheddar cheese is good. You know what would make cheddar cheese better? If it had a knife. More (laughs) cheddar. And so that's what extra sharp cheddar cheese is. I think what they do, scientifically, is they make two blocks of cheddar cheese, and then they just cram them together excessively hard to make one. There's, oven, actually, there's we, actually a collider in Wisconsin. Yes. It's 15 miles long. They, they, I mean, we could Google cheese making. Actually, I've been to the Tillamook Cheese Factory, so yeah. I think I'm an expert on this. I, I watched them shove two blocks of cheddar together, and Did then you? they extra sharp cheddar. Why didn't you get a gift of that? Well, I did. It was pre-gift. Oh, okay. It was 2012. We weren't. We could probably find it on YouTube. We, there weren't gifts until 2016, right? Mm. We we were pre-gift at that. Says point. the man who's yet to discover YouTube. Yeah. Well, YouTube was 2017, so I'm I got su- you know. I'm pr- I'm surprised for you. There are gifts in 2018. Oh man, I love gifts. Are you kidding me? I'm the gift king. You all seen my group me's? I crush a gift. <laughs> Y'all see my Facebook? What the fuck has happened? Y'all turned on me about gifts, but I'm good at gifts now. Are you? That's the rating system. We're getting beer. Hey, Maddie, what are you drinking? I am drinking Fathead's Bumbleberry Honey Blueberry Ale. 
So yeah. I don't care for the label. I'm be honest with you. I mean, we've had worse. It's not old lay comfort. The, right, like, right. No. It's not the worst We're label. Brown note. Right, right. I'm with it's you a, on that. It's a fat man's face. I don't. I don't want to live in a world where we either yeah. can't can only like labels that aren't the most offensive things in the world or not. All right, she's drinking okay. it, by Fair the way. Enough. Okay. She's just seized the initiative while we were blathering. I'm just saying that if you're anti that label, you're also anti That's sitting sweet. across from me at this podcast. It might be a portrait. Aww, oh, she's taking no. another sip. Oh, she's going back round two. She's just like deep in thought. Well, the question is, is it I want to try that deep. again because I like it or I'm not sure? Uh-oh. Looking at the rating oh, system. Looking at the rating uh, system. I want to name it by name. Thank you. The fidelity of the whole rating system yeah, yeah, yeah. is really held together by yeah, our ability. Yeah, that's that is a pepper jack. Oh, that's a four. Ooh, oh, wow. Yeah, nice. absolutely. You don't need to think about giving it's me getting a, in there. Damn, he's okay. taking a sniff. Mm-hmm. Very sweet. He is it's also lovely. drinking it, which is the typical method of you're going to like doing beers. It's blueberry forward. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. all in. And I know how you now. On, I don't love the back. Um, the back has a little bit of copper for me. That's. <laughs> Did you see the Facebook comic where I've renamed every episode for you? Spencer tastes a penny. No, <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, is that in the drive? And I've yeah. not seen it. Oh, okay. uh, no, that is that is oh, yeah. uh, that is a Facebook comic. Huh. Yeah, if you like blueberries, this is great. Right. If let you me, don't like blueberries, don't drink this. Let me retitle this for you. Spencer tastes a penny. Yeah, <laughs> episode one hundred and twelve. It does have a little uh, copper on the back end. I, I have, think it's fine. I've got a refined palate. Yeah, I, I understand that a lot of... I just of, think you're constantly bleeding. I get <laughs> that a lot of the problems on the show are Spencer that... Spencer doesn't believe in brushing his teeth. I have elevated taste, and the mouth. rest of you are like some proletariat, you know, like gu- wow. gutter pallets. Wow, bringing class into it already. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. I'll sit over here with my non-goat cheese. <laughs> um, hey, it's our first segment, which means it's dissecting our fun. We're talking about games. And Caleb, you have introduced me to a real doozy of a game. The Palace of Mad King Ludwig. Yes. What? Uh, we've the all played that. Fuck. Yeah, we played it last night, actually. Yeah. yeah. Really good. Bananas. Yes. Um, pretty wild for tile placement. Um, now, I've heard stuff that people don't like it as much as the castles of Mad King Ludwig. Okay. But I kind of like it because it is, seems to me. Um, once everybody's learned it, because we played it a second time, mm-hmm. and you start being more aggressive with yep. boxing people out, yep. um, it seems to be far more interesting to me because it's far more interactive yep. um, than the sort of, uh, we all go to a central place for the tiles, but then we're all in our own world right. trying to get our placement. Which is like one of the problems with Carcassonne, for example, is that Carcassonne, you can kind of build your own cities off or your roads off and just try to outscore other people. The Palace of Mad King Ludwig... There is uh, a necessary and pertinent need to compete with other people. So it's, it's kind of an intense game. Caleb, why don't you describe how the game plays a little bit, and then we'll kind of weigh in on how we felt about it. So um, it's a tile place game, much, much like Castles of Magging Ludwig, but instead of making your own castle, you're building a palace together through placing a, I believe there are like five or six different types of rooms then there are stairways and hallways and um, a, a wild combination. Each room will either have a, once you finish it, meaning you've connected all its doors to different places, a bonus for finishing it that you get instantly, or it will have a bonus that it triggers at the end of the game right. once you finish the room, which is very interesting uh, push-pull mechanic there. Like, am I going to go for stuff that I get immediate bonuses for or stuff that's going to play me in the late game? And that's really the basic theme of uh, Palace. Like, there's a lot of trade-offs in it. So you can get objectives that are not the group objectives everyone's going for, and their personal objectives, which is very interesting. So if like one of the objectives is have the most red swans, you can be 
picking a personal objective that has had the least red swans mm-hmm. and be like, I'm going to give that up to the group so they can score points. But then it's going to be really easy for me to fill this objective because ain't nobody want no red swans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, that's sort of interesting. But every time you pick an objective, you're cutting off one of your um, upgrades that make things cheaper or make it easier to pull tiles or make it easier to place or give you in-game bonuses. Um, conversely, if you pick a way to upgrade your character, uh, Matt, there to do that, you are cutting off a potential upgrade you, uh, objective you could have at the in-game. Yep. Um, and so you're constantly sort of placing and trying to build for these different strategies that you have based on your personal objectives and the group objectives. But um, the thing that I really like about Palace is the moat mechanic, yeah. which is a super interesting way to end a game. You so, want to talk about that? For yeah, a bit? for sure. So um, the bulk of the game is, uh, happens while players are placing palace tiles. So you're adding rooms to this ever-expanding palace. But as you are pulling palace tiles off of the stacks, you will event- eventually start to empty those stacks of palace tiles. And as you empty those stacks, you also have to start placing moat tiles. So when a room completes, which means that any of the doors that could enter or exit that room are linked up to other doors, therefore there are no other open spaces to which that room could expand, that room is considered complete. And after you have started to empty the amount of stacks from which you can pull palace tiles, you have to also start placing first a single moat tile. And the moat extends from the shared player area out to around the castle. So you have to build orthogonally, placing moat tiles around the castle tiles as it expands. But as you can continue to deplete further stacks of palace tiles, you have to place additional moat tiles. So every time you run through another palace stack, then you've got to add a moat tile every time you complete a room. After you reduce the third stack of palace tiles, now you have to place two more moat tiles every time you complete a room. So you're dropping four You're, dro- you're dropping time. four moat tiles. So the moat starts to exponentially uh, encroach on your the palace's ability to expand. And the kind of competitive advantage over time is as you complete rooms, you can choose to place moat tiles in ways that would close off other people's rooms before they can complete them, that would not allow them to expand any further in their own direction, but rather corral them back towards kind of the larger group. Um, The moat acts as kind of a defense mechanism later in the game for Mm -hmm. you to control the area of play and where people can play certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll say this for someone who kind of like, I typically like tile-based games. Um, I'm a big fan of Carcassonne, which we just kind of like dug out of the closet. A few this weeks is probably ago. the most complex tile placing game I've ever played. It I don't think it's is. most complex because I haven't played Feast of Odin yet, right. and that looks nightmarish. It does, uh, but uh, it is uh, uh, very fussy for a tile placement. And game. it adds um, so, like Carcassonne, which is kind of your standard bearer for tile placement. You can play defense, sure, but playing defense is like closing off somebody's road or trying to encroach upon their farm. Uh, you know, making their cloister more difficult or something. This is full on, I'm going to go at a clear strategy you're trying to enact, and I'm going to cut off your ability to do it by making it impossible to expand any farther. So there definitely is kind of a player versus player aspect later in the game. Um, the the problem for me, in, and I think Palace of Mad King Ludwig is like definitely worth the purchase if you're into tile-based games or you've got a game group that like, can manage a variety of scoring conditions. The major problem for me is I think there are too many ways to score in the Palace of Mad King Ludwig. So at the end of the game, you're counting up, what, seven or eight rows, I think, of different scoring objectives. Yeah, different components. Six. So, Six? So okay. You've, yeah. got your, you've got your basic... Um, your basic victory points that you're going for. Right. Then you'll have, there's three different types of rooms that only have in-game bonuses. So you're looking at all of those 
Then you're looking at swans in which you're trying to build various sets. So the most varied amount of swans of all different colors wins. Right. And then you hit group objectives and then you hit personal objectives. Right. And there's some math at the end of it. It's like uh, five tribes scoring. Yep. It's very similar to it that. Because the little pad, no pad that you can use yeah, to, to keep doing, which yeah, kind yeah. of directs you what to score next. Yeah, I yeah. think that's where, um, and I like this game and I want to play it again, but I think where I get lost in it is there are so many different ways to win the game based on any number of tiles you might pull and any number of personal objectives you may encounter each game that I think it might be hard to develop any single strategy for playing the the Palace of Mad King Ludwig. It's just respond to the tiles that are in front of you. And that's totally reasonable, and I think that's a great way to play a game. It's just a little counterintuitive to how I like to think about things. And so I think that, for me, is kind of the trick. I don't know. You guys played it. What what do you think? I really enjoyed it. Like, um, when we played last night, we all had very different strategies that we ended up going for, and we ended up... Uh, Ross and Caleb were on a tie, and I was five points behind in the end and scoring because yeah. there was that many different things we had scored high on that we kind of ended up being the same. But I thought I didn't understand the rules as much. I, I'm the one who wound up winning, and I was kind of really surprised by that because <laughs> I thought I didn't understand. I was on only understanding like half the game, but it, right. like at the end, it's like the only thing I wasn't getting was the well, stare. Well, you yeah. were, but you went all in on the one strategy you had. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, fully I, committed to it. Yeah. Uh, well, I also was. Uh, I did look on the little thing that you have that shows you the the bonus points for getting sets of t- uh, swans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went after that as well. Sure. So sure. I had like three full sets of five. I think the so, fact yeah. though that like you were you 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 thought you were reasonably unclear on the rules and could still kind of like pull out a, a win yeah, in yeah. a game like that suggests that again and, and not that that's a knock on the game but there's just a lot of ways to score points some you may not even be accounting for or controlling for and the nature of what gets turned over just now scores I, points. I will say on like baron park or something it right. really rewards some system mastery so like the first time we played i was sort of at a loss too but i, I found out the way stairs and underground room scored so the first time we played Sarah beat me, and then the second time we played together, I just went all in on going downstairs. Right. Um, so anytime there was a basement room, I pulled it. I found objectives that were pro basement, pro stairs. Yeah. And that was my whole game, and I stomped them. Yeah. But then the th- time we played with you, I was trying to do that same thing, yeah. and Sarah saw it, right. and it was very easy for her to hate draft me. Right out of that mechanic and I had to find a different win condition. Yeah. So, and like, likewise, I knew Ross was like going all in on entertainment rooms and then he got that workshop that gave him an additional bonus for every entertainment room. And so at that point I should have hate drafted, but, um, the tiles, but at that point, I, I mean, we are, we're trying to learn the game. I didn't want to do that. And I was, I was messing with different strategies. So I think the more people get how it works and they can see strategies develop, it's going to become, um, a lot easier yeah. to, you know, dick people out of their um, very singular Obvious. strategies right. yes. and force people to go for a wide variety. Um, yeah. I really liked your strategy in the first game we played yesterday where you were just like, fuck upgrades, all objectives. Yeah. Like, that was super interesting. Yeah, I wanted to see what it would get me. I wanted to see how many cu- I could achieve. And then I found tiles that would give me bonuses for also having objectives. Yeah, the, the objective mechanic, you pull three and take one, I can usually find something that's pretty helpful. Yep, yep. Yeah. Alternatively, in the second game, uh, I 
took objectives at different points in the game and took competing objectives, not realizing it because I wasn't paying that close attention <laughs> because again, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So I kind of like screwed myself a little bit there. I will say that it's going to play different every time. It's going to feel different every time. There's a lot in the box. I think both in terms of amount of play available and component pieces, it is a robust game. I will say as people who have designed a game of tile placement where the house makes no fucking sense. Right. Uh, I deeply appreciate the tile placement of Palace of Magni Luquid because this house makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Yep. Um, um, yeah. There was one thing. I think that, like, the first time I played the last night, I was only dimly aware of what Maddie and Caleb objectives, what they were trying to go for. Like, right. some things like, oh, you're getting swans of that color. I guess you need those. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, probably, I guess when I play again, I will be more focused on what the other players are doing. Yeah, I would really uh, like to play that again. That'd mm-hmm. be yeah. Yeah, that's what we did. We played it once, and then we're just immediately like, let's just play this again. Because, like, now I realize things that I missed, and I don't want to do what I did with Scythe. Brandy absolutely hated it, and then she liked it a lot and won the second game. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. so, um, maybe that's the best advice you can get out of this segment, if you're going to get palaces. It's not a one play. Give it give it a playthrough once, and then just turn around and try it again. Yep. Yeah, the first like time you're just the second time. playing almost on, on your own just to figure it out, and the second time you're like, oh, there's other players that I need to screw over. That's exactly Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely play it twice. So those are our thoughts on the Palace of Mad King Ludwig. Uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, if it sounds interesting to you, go find it. I'm sure that people can buy it. Caleb did. Uh, on that note, we're going to grab beer and we'll be right back. Caleb, what are you drinking? I'm going to drink from North Loop Brewing Company, the IPA Photo, F-O-T-O. That's the old-timey way of spelling photo. I'm going to give it a shot. Thank you, Producer Ross. (laughs) Thank you, old-timey Producer Ross. (laughs) Getting in there. Oh, his face is not happy. Is it hoppy? It's real bad. It's an IPA. He doesn't like it. It's Uh, pretty skunky. Um, That is going to be a feta. Ooh, not a goat cheese, though. Yeah. Okay. Um, sort of sticks in the back of the throat like a feta. Mm. Uh, mm. Very, very true. <laughs> very mm-hmm. skunky. Very IPA. Skunky's concerning. Um, I don't like a that lot of, uh, A lot of craft people are going to love it because it's like, oh, it's bitter. Uh, because that is all craft brewing is to them. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, yeah, man, you got it. And then I'm going to go drink pretty much anything else. Mm. But, yeah. <laughs> Really wonderful review for a two, nonetheless. Yeah. You, you know, Eloquent, really. Yeah. Um, hey, we're in Eulogy for an IPA. Armchair Director, <laughs> which is our number two vote getter. Uh, and Ethan Cordray suggests, pick a movie that has never gotten a sequel or a remake, no franchise, no spinoff, no nothing. Pitch us a sequel that would actually make money in our current blockbuster-addicted Hollywood world. I do not have great. I have one really good answer here, and then I have two answers that are just movies I want to. Before see. we get to this, can I can I point out something out yeah. as the meta of the podcast? Yeah. Um, so I gave that a two, right? And we have passed ones all around this table, like where like it looked like we just set a grenade off in each other's mouths. Yeah. No one looked pleasant, and then like we just grab it and like I'll try that next. Yeah. I said this is a middling IPA, and right. everyone's like, nah. No, I don't need that. I don't want to try that. I've had that before. And that says more about IPAs than I ever could. We all drank ghost pepper, Mm. pepper spray, craft beers. Bacon flavor. They use it to stop prison riots. Mm -hmm. And we're just like, another IPA. All right, no, I'm good. 
yeah. I'm actually not thirsty. I don't. Uh, an IPA that Caleb doesn't like is not something that I need to try. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Exactly. So every beer. Uh-huh. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, okay. So anyways, we're, um, we're picking movies that we would like to see sequels for. Um, Maddie, I don't know that you had any prep on this I question. I have no prep on it, but I have an answer. Okay. Good. Good. Then this is what we're going to do. I've picked three. I don't need to give all of them because, frankly, they're really bad. So, Maddie, I'm going to let you start then as the guest of honor. Uh, no sequel, no spinoff, no franchise, none of it. What would you want to see again? Face Off 2. Damn. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> 100%. We might, we yep. might face offer. Done. Is it Travolta and Cage again? Yes. <laughs> so they just re-switch faces. Man, that's great. Look, yeah, mean, I'd watch it. I I'm mean, Castro Troy is dead at the end of the movie. So Even better. Even think. better. Oh. That's what you think. Podcast challenge. Name of Face Off 2. Subtitle, go. Maddie. Uh, the Face Returns. The Face Returns. Caleb. The Switcheroo. Ross. <laughs> face Offed. Ooh. Uh, fate face on. Oh. To be clear, do you know that face off to the switcheroo rhymes? No, I didn't. When you said it, I like that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, okay, well, that's probably the best answer we've got in this segment. Here's the trick, though. What happens in face off two? That's the pitch. It doesn't matter. It's got Nicolas Cage in it. It's it just going to be awesome. It's a strong, Things will explode. It's a strong argument. So, John Woo returns to direct. Obviously. Has yeah. it ever mattered? Let, <laughs> let, me, let me... Here, I'll put you on. So Castro Troy has, in fact, died. Yeah. So the bit to the film is they've taken his, his rotting face, and they've put that on John Travolta. And it's actually just... People are like, oh, it's just John Travolta. Wait, so he just lives his life? That was a John Travolta burn. Is what okay, nice. Because his right. face looks like a rotting Nicolas Cage flesh. Yeah, yeah, he is looking... John Travolta, well. if you're Whoa. listening, I am very sorry. He's, he's full of things, But you were, man. you're in a cult, so... Right, yeah. So I'm medium He's got to get that E-Red out of him. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. He'll save you. E-Red out those wrinkles, become Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, oh, Caleb, what would you remake? forever. Oh. Um, mine were more serious, uh, so I feel bad What does that now. mean? Um... So I'd like to see uh, a, a, a second in the loop. If you ever watch that, it is. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not a specifically a British governmental satire, but it is uh, it is about you know sort of the relationship between uh, Britain and the U.S. specifically regarding the war on terror and about political gaffes and the extreme short sightedness and blindness and uh, lack of introspection practiced by those people of that subset. And how uh, buffoonish they can be, and how that buffoonery, as uh, ridiculous as it is on the face, can lead to like horrible real world consequences. But I think we need a second level of that in the loop too for the you know the Trump administration. Mm. Um, so I wanted to be. I just imagine like you have this these this clueless absurdity of the political ass of the political class, but they now they have to. It's not an episode of Veep anymore. Now they have to li- deal with like a literal drooling buffoon like a an absurd ape of a man who follows no method of decorum and they have to like find something in his bedwetting ravings to have any sort of policy debate in it while still trying to bolster up their fragile completely uninterspective egos i imagine something like peter sellers in being there mm-hmm. if peter sellers were a pants wedding idiot and you were all just like i think he i think he actually knows a lot about trade he did seem um, to say something yeah um so I, I would i would watch that i think that's the satire we need uh of the current administration and in the loop was pretty cutting for like the george bush years yeah so. for sure uh so mine is far less political and and intelligent frankly um 
All right, so follow me down this rabbit hole. It's Roger Rabbit. Okay, so that's the setup. <laughs> so here's the thing. We're trying to do the opposite of the first Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and we're trying to turn all of the cartoons into humans. And so the film actually ten- takes place in a transitional space where some of the cartoons have started to become human. And so we get Guillermo del Toro to direct because he could do the kind of like cartoonish monster makeup about the whole thing. And then uh, Ryan Gosling, Obvi Ryan Gosling, who's largely just reprising his role from Blade 2049 is trying to put down both the bad cartoons and the person trying Isn't to turn... is the original Bob Hoskins? Yes. You know, when who I think... better to play <laughs> Bob Hoskins' son than Ryan Gosling? They look alike, they sound alike, they act alike, they're both terribly subdued. God. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. You guys is know. It, isn't this basically the plot of Cool World? You remember that one? I do. Except yeah. this one doesn't have David Duchovny. Uh-huh. It's got Ryan Gosling. Uh-huh. And it's directed by Guillermo del Toro. Okay. So it's better, is what I'm saying. All right. It's infinitely better than Cool World. <laughs> Never has it been clear to me that we approach this question from completely opposite <laughs> thematic angles. Yeah, yeah. Well, I typically go to watch a movie because I want to enjoy it. And that's that's largely the, the best interpretation I get out of a film. Oh, okay. Did I smile or cry? And in many instances, the answer is yes to both. All right. Um, you want to do one more? Uh, not really, considering how badly I misread this. No, um, I think you read it fine. Uh, okay. Um, never Let Me Go, the <laughs> horrible, crushing uh, dystopian throw where all the baby boomers get the ability to live forever as long as they steal organs from the young. Um, I would really like, to, based off the, the Japanese novel of the same name, um, I would like to see um, that again, but I want to see young, a young organ farm Spartacus say, fuck these immortal boomer assholes. We're, we're going to fight. So basically, like, it's going to be taken down, uh, throwing a Molotov through a, a, a malt shop, even though that malt shop exists in 2020, and there's going to be freaky, dressed like World War II stormtroopers trying to steal the organ banks back. And I, I would watch the shit out of that. It'd be very it'd be very different. Like, the alien and aliens of, you know, dystopian youth feelers. Like, one's going to be a very cerebral, nightmarish take, and the second one's going to be more action-oriented as, you know, the organ folk. That makes sense. Rebel. Um, we did approach this very similarly because a film that I would like to see a sequel for is Step Brothers. It's a lot like... I- that movie that you mentioned, Never Let Me Go. <laughs> yeah, which you've seen how many times? Zero. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, um, there are very few films that I've watched, like, obsessively. Just over and over again. They become background Please don't admit it's that one. It's that one. Oh, God damn it. There is a period in my life that is defined by Step Brothers or Pineapple Express being oh one God. of the two things on in the room behind Jesus, me. you have a doctorate. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think that Step Brothers is one of the funniest movies in the history of movies. I think that the interaction between Will Ferrell and uh, other guy who has a name that I can't remember right now in that movie is perfect. John C. Riley. Thank you, John C. Riley. And... I hear tell that there's like a whole Huff and Dobeck rap album that was like written and never produced. And I would like to see an entire film of them doing the Huff and Dobeck, Huff and Dobeck rap album. Yeah. Uh, I have one whenever. So, well, yeah, just jump in. I mean, good luck, yeah. you know, at this point, <laughs> but yeah, uh, going back, I feel this is the perfect intersection of all the movies uh, mentioned so far. Uh, space jam too. We need, we need more space jam. 
Uh, I'm actually for this. Yeah, I, I figured you'd the, be on board. The pitch of Space Jam with LeBron. Yeah, I yeah, would yeah. watch the ever-living hell yeah. out of Have that. Have you guys seen Space Bill Jam? Bill Murray's still yeah. around. LeBron? Yeah. yeah, okay, I'd watch that for yeah. sure. Uh, Michael Jordan can make a cameo or two. Yeah. I would watch the He shit. could be the coach. Oh, well, I, I really doubt he would. Yeah. He is one of nature's most perfect assholes. <laughs> <laughs> He's a real jerk. My yeah. God. <laughs> How we got it so wrong on worshiping that guy for so long. Yeah. yeah. What a bummer. Because he won a lot of games. I want to see Space Jam 2 really badly. And there have been like moments over the last couple of seasons where mm-hmm. it's been hinted at, and LeBron has like made comments about it, and people have asked questions about it. And every time I get irrationally excited, because I also think that that is a concept from my childhood, and there aren't many of these, that would hold up terribly well in 2018 yeah. with just a different NBA superstar. I- I'll say this. Hands down, after seeing Trainwreck, LeBron better actor than he Jordan. He was yeah. super funny in that goat movie. actor compared yeah. to Jordan. One hundo, <laughs> one hundo, not even close. Um, okay, on that note, we're gonna grab a little more beer, and on the other side, we've got us a fire sale. Before we drink that, do you see a day where like we upgrade podcast equipment and we sell the old stuff, and whoever gets it is going to be like, "Why do all the pop filters smell so strongly of cinnamon?" <laughs> and it's it's going to be because deep in history, like if the dead zone guy touched it, he would just see hundreds of bottles of Fireball just disappearing fireball. down our gullets. But. I like to imagine that moment and like sort of see a through line through history. Anyway, what are you drinking? If we think that's where this is all headed, we should start saving the fireball bottles and sell them as like a <laughs> like a value add. Like three pop filters and it's, it's sort of the packing peanuts we send the microphones all, at. All God. of the vehicles by which these these pop filters just started to smell like we just that. glue them together and make a an iron throne. <gasps> uh, fireball throne. <laughs> Oh my God! The throne of fire, yeah. ball. Yeah. We have to do this. We don't have to. No. Okay. Everybody, shut the fuck. Listen. Yeah. I know we haven't done like a one month Patreon goal yet, and I've definitely been like running around in my head. Like, what if our one month Patreon goal was like get enough money to buy enough small fireball bu- fire buckets, which are buckets of twenty mini fireball bottles, to to get a fire chair, the throne of fire built. <laughs> I just need to know. I need to know from you They're people n- listening. Just that you don't would store the empty bottles here, and I'm fine. Like, I'll help glue them together. Also, well, there are certain to- things outlined in your producer contract, and that's clearly of them. I thought of every possible situation. <laughs> yep, yep. Read the fine print. Yeah. Also, if that's not going to work, we're going to need to add to the Patreon goal of storage space. So, if someone could hit me up with the cost of a monthly what storage. What about your space. basement? Don't Selena Gomez uh, could have a nice place to sit. Uh, I had to throw Selena Gomez out. Oh, damn it! What? <laughs> So both my Selena Gomez and Austin Powers standees. So we had some bad rain and got a little water on them. Can we even continue the podcast? I I didn't want to say anything, but new one month Patreon goal: buy Spencer a new Selena Gomez, definitely, and laminate it. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. Or honestly, I should just keep it anywhere else in my house. Laminate Selena. Yeah, that's what we'll call the the fundraising goal. It was not my 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 best moment. I'm be honest with you guys. (laughs) Anyway, Um, you got to drink a beer. I am drinking a beer, and I'm drinking a beer. By American Trappist called the Spencer India Pale Ale. It feels like a crowning achievement. First off, I'm positive that the makers of this beer listen to this podcast. Yeah. And secondly, I'm even more positive of the fact that this is named after me mm-hmm. and in a style that they knew was a little bit trolly. Yeah. Like they were like, yeah. we're going to make it, we're going to name it. I mean, it's beer. not quite a s'mores, though. It's like, not, no, it's definitely, it's, it's not, not it's quite a It's playfully trolly. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a nod. Yeah. A nod and a wink. <laughs> so, anyways, here we go. He is drinking it. He is putting it down. Yeah. yeah. It's an IPA. Uh, it's a drinkable IPA. I actually 
it's a four. That's a pepper jack. That's a that's a pepper jack. That's a good IPA, guys. All right, give me a shot. I don't want to say that it's totally ego induced narcissism rating it that way because of its name. I'm not gonna say that. Oh uh, God, no, that's way better than what I'm drinking. Right. Well, I don't doubt that. I mean, by a it's country a good mile. IPA, yeah. Right. Um, see, now I want to try yours because I want some perspective by incongruity. All right, so go, I, yeah. go for it. It's not good. Now that there appears yeah, to be... is this made with Cascade hops or something? Don't start naming. <laughs> oh, God. Uh-huh. You saw one time. Oh, Jesus. I will say this. On the bottle, it says, pair with family and friends. And I think Aww. that's adorable. Matt, do you want to try? Or is that a subtle... Uh, Spencer's also going to try the... Endorsement of the cannibalism. Last great mm. one. Mm. I think it's a subtle endorsement of cannibalism. Mm. Well, we, oh, yeah. Oh. See, your IPA is bad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's nice. That IPA tastes like what I imagine one of those faux sports fields tastes like. Mm-hmm. That is not enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're into a fire sale, um, which means we got some questions to answer, quite a few questions to answer in Ask Mixed Six. It's literally every question, because y'all been, y'all been slow. You going outside, you playing? Like, you're, you're not getting up on the surveys like you used to. Stop, maybe, that, maybe, stop that outdoors shit. Maybe like, the get inside, drink more beer, have run their stay, course. spend more time on the internet. Maybe they've gotten to a point where they just trust us to generate our own very interesting, earth-shattering topics. God, that's a that's a bad instinct. I Don't said follow that, that. I said that, and probably subconsciously, Maddie instantly started shaking her head as if that wasn't true. Like, <laughs> yes. I was mid midway through. I think I said, like, earth-shattering, and she was like, absolutely not. Not a fucking All right, Anyway, we let this one get away from this one. We got, we got a lot of fire sales to get to. Here so. we go. Read them out, Caleb. Uh, Ethan Cordray asks... Recently, my spouse and I have been having some deep conversations about relationships, our childhoods, and our personalities brought on by watching a TV show together. Marin, if you're curious. Have you had experiences like this? If so, what was the show? Was it surprising to you that it brought up such things? Maddie? Never. Okay. Caleb? Only. Yeah. The, my yeah. every relationship topic is sparked by some dumbass thing of pop culture. Typically, the less... Yeah justified it is in having the conversation that it sparks, the more likely that conversation is to have. Um, We call it projection. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. whenever Sarah sees a couple, no matter how ridiculous the situation, she will project us onto the couple. And then we have these like, what basically amount to, to what would you do if conversations for possibly the most absurd situations possible. Yeah. And then we have conversations about what we would do in that. The the one that speaks to me the most is that we went to go see The Road on Valentine's Day because we're that kind of couple. And uh, when Charlize Theron just like strips off her clothes and goes walking into the snow in the woods <laughs> to die, Sarah's just like, yeah, girl. <laughs> I would totally do that. Uh-huh. And we had to have a long discussion about like, when do we quit when things get bad? And Sarah's answer is soon <laughs> um so we had to have like a pretty intense conversation about like what do we do in emergencies and i don't think the road's gonna happen i hope sarah doesn't walk into the woods to die uh like some character in a jack london story but we it doesn't matter what's happening on the screen we constantly project and like sometimes it'll bring up something that is actual conversation to have most of the time it'll just be like a dumb conversation about like why are you projecting this onto me? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we that is our primary means of speaking about our relationship is through dumb pop culture. Yeah, happens in two ways for us pretty frequently. So like one is um, so. Uh, it was just my mom and I for quite a while and uh, my mom was like a film buff like she was all she took film classes in college that's what she wanted to do she just never got to go that way um, for a variety of reasons but so our our thing 
to do in our time when she was home from work is we would watch TV shows and movies, and largely like old TV shows and old, old movies, or it, for those of you who, who are unaware of The Shining. Um, because my mom liked to like unpack the stuff and talk about what was happening and talk about the camera shots and talk about the directors or the references. And so that's what we would do. We would watch things and then afterwards we'd talk about all the stuff and then we'd watch them again and we'd look for these things. And, um, you know, Brandy, like her, her mode of consumption when she was younger was largely consuming. She liked television shows that were funny, that were enjoyable, that were comforting for her. And the unpacking of a show, it wasn't anathema, but it certainly like wasn't what was happening. I mean, she just enjoyed a show for a show's sake. And that, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I, just very different in how we approach these things. Um, so when I watch things and I want to unpack them, like I want to talk about like how interesting something is, like we were watching Trial and Error last night, for example, on NBC, and I think it's one of the funniest shows on television. And they're doing this like riff on S-Town called M-Town, uh, and they're even throwing in some like subtle references. And so I'm like wanting to pause the show and be like, oh my God, that's, and then kind of explain the analog. And I don't think she's opposed to it, but there are definite moments where for her it's like, yeah, or we could just watch the fucking show, though. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, so I'm sorry about that. Um, second thing is uh, I'm really into, uh, n- like, nostalgia and references. And so, like, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, Hot Fuzz, um, you know, Edgar Wright pretty much generally. I like to talk about these things and point them out and talk about what kinds of layers of meaning it's adding to the, the, the text and how interesting that is and blah, 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 blah. That's really annoying. I know that. And Brandy hates it. Um, and, uh, and she's learned to live with it and she's actually been really good about it. And she'll even give me moments to talk about it. And I love her so much for doing that, but it does cause very different viewing experiences for the two of us. So anyway, second question, Scott Henderson asks, how do you balance wanting to be true to your beliefs in mixed company, i.e. meeting new significant others, friends without burning any bridges? I was meeting my girlfriend's sister when she started mentioning something that rubbed me the wrong way. When do you ignore remarks and when do you find a hill to die on? Maddie? Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to Lighthearted. Yeah. Throw you a softball. For- yeah, God. Um, unless it's like immediately offensive to me directly, like I can take it if, you know, someone is just the way they've grown up, if they're older, their belief system. Like, I'm not going to be able to change it if I d- take that heel. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it will just reflect upon me, and then that will cause friction where I don't need friction to be. So it's easier just to placate that person in that situation. But if there's someone my age, I'm like, why the fuck do you have this point of view? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that point, you will, like, call yeah. it out. You're just gen- – yeah, yeah. Caleb? Uh, I actually have rules for this. Um, I will – let it go if I don't think it's directly, immediately hurting anybody, uh, and I will let it go if I don't think it, if I think it's not um, a subtle power play. Like a lot of people will do this kind of shit just to sort of let you know where the social hierarchy is. Mm-hmm. That doesn't play real well with me. In fact, we've had that at your house a couple of times, yeah. um, and I'm keen to point that out and yeah. cause a scene. Um, but otherwise, I let it go. Like yeah. slight differences of opinion, as long as they're well-meaning doesn't mean anything even if i think it's basically blatantly wrong but you know there i've been thrown out of places physically before like fucking cartoons and movies like you know i <laughs> i i will spout up occasionally but it's when i feel like you know there's real people on the line and right. it's not like do you think this show is good or not so yeah. i've never yeah. been like you know what nickelback isn't very good right. like i've right. never like started a fight over that but yeah uh, if it's like if it feels intentionally direct as an attack on me or someone with me, uh, I'm probably more likely to say something. If it feels too 
aggressively violate an obvious social contract or covenant, I'm probably willing to say something. If it's the the airing of difference, uh, yeah, for the most part, I'm willing to just be like, okay, well, we don't agree on that, and that makes me a little uncomfortable in a social setting, but I would rather be a little uncomfortable than be a lot more uncomfortable yeah. and say something here. Hey, the third question we've got is from a familiar voice. Maddie. Um, <laughs> I'll read it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Maddie, you want to jump in there? I think you can see it on Caleb's screen. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're right. I really cannot read from that far. I am blind. Well, you did write it, so, yeah, well, I mean, I if you wanted to paraphrase. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, what is the turning point where someone you know online becomes someone you consider a friend? Has the internet changed the definition of friendship over time? Fitting question, given that you're literally sitting here. Hi. <laughs> a, 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 that you wrote the question, and B, that we got to know you over the internet. So, nope. I appreciate that. Um, I do think that the, the internet has changed the... Well, let me. See. I don't think it's changed the definition of friendship. I think, I, for me, being a friend is being a friend. I do think it has changed the means of acquiring friends, and that is not a definition of the thing. And forever. keeping them. Yeah, yeah, and keeping them. That's totally right. Um, and so, you know, it's not just you, but like uh, Andrew Baswell, Jeb Dale, Noah Carden, um, a lot of these folks that I've met, you know, specifically because of the podcast. Um, even the guys from like Good Brews, Bad Views, Max, for example, like we talk, you know, semi regularly about stuff, and we've never met. Um, I think for me, the question is, do we still have similar interests? Do I think that there's content for interesting conversations there? Do I think that this person could kind of enhance my worldview in some way because of their experience or their mode? Um, and it just so happens that I met them on the internet and I'm becoming like far more interested in that. Having said that, the first time Caleb told me that uh, Andrew Baswell, commonly Baz, who's been on the show a few times, was coming in town, the whole thing was a little freaky to me because it's like, so some guy we've never met is just going to drive up and stay with us and we're all going to be cool. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. And it was the coolest thing. And, you know, now he's a close friend of mine, Baz and Holly. So. So it's definitely weird. I get that. It's 2018. It's still weird to me sometimes when it happens. It's also just the way it is for me anymore. Yeah, you also might work with a serial killer. Like, there's right. no difference between <laughs> That's online right. and real spaces. That's right. Online spaces are real spaces. I'm on to you, coworker serial killer. Uh, and I think it's very much... Um, I, I think it's changed the means of finding friends, and I think it's also changed the quality of the friendships, because I think not being tied down to your longitude and latitude... Because you have the internet now, right? I think your friends have a lot more similar interests than you ever would have really before. Good point. Yeah. It's not just some dude you work with who doesn't totally piss you off mm -hmm. all the time, <laughs> which is really the majority point. of friendships, yeah. I, I believe, before the internet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't see a difference between those spaces very much anymore. Like, and, and it's not to say I'm friends with everyone I ever talked to online. Like. It's li literally a text amount. Like if I yeah. know things about you and that kind of stuff, and unless I'm being catfished. Yeah. But I mean, that is a position of privilege because if you're catfishing me, right? Wow. <laughs> what was the man? You have a weird fetish. Like, <laughs> like what was the there. breaking point for you? So like, um, like for example, you and I, uh, we knew each other through interacting like over Twitter and Facebook for yeah. the most part, and then we started playing Destiny together. Uh, and now we're friends and like somewhere in there we became friends. Yeah. Like what was the breaking point for you on these things? Like when, when was it? Well, now they're just not like casual acquaintances who, you know, whose podcast I interact with, but yeah, I think it was the amount of interaction, like on Twitter, we'd say something, respond, end of topic. Yeah. Uh, but when we started playing destiny together, it was like, let's have a right. conversation. How's your day? Yeah. I got to know you like what's happening in your life. 
and vice versa. Like, you right. got to know me when you didn't hang up on me the first time we talked. Well, right. You know, yeah. not well, salty about that at all. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> definitely didn't happen, maybe. <laughs> I, I can think of a similar uh, experience. Like, I met, uh, I have a friend, Bridget, uh, who's one of our GMs on RPPR, and uh, I met her through Noah and uh, one of his friends, Richard. Uh, so online friends meeting now another online friend through them and now uh, you know I visit her in Seattle and she's coming to Gen Con for the first time oh cool and so but yeah it, it started actually just hanging out in I think a discord and just mm-hmm. talking and then yeah like hanging out and just sharing you know shit posting essentially hey right. here's the stupid thing I found on Twitter yeah isn't that funny yeah, yeah. To, wanna... to be clear the majority of people who've ever worked for Habit on Games I've never actually seen in person right like right. when people yeah. ask about like my diversity hiring statement I'm like I, th- I think it's pretty good, <laughs> but uh-huh. I mean, I don't know right. <laughs> for sure. You know, but Lord 69 turns an art on time. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> whoever that is, whatever they identify as right. Good art. <laughs> like I know what people tell me about themselves, but like I've never seen them. So yeah. like I, I just don't. I don't think it's a thing anymore. Yeah. Like I don't either. I think amount of interaction is a really a good fun metric. conversation yeah. to have. Is telling your parents I'm going to America for a month and a half to hang out with my friends I met via a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and here we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question: Stephen Lee asks, "Is escapist media a healthy tool to help people get out of the drudgery, discomfort, and horrors of everyday life, or?" Is it an opiate that numbs us to problems and allows people to sleepwalk through life rather than confront problems? Sorry, felt a bit dark there. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm gonna. I, I, I'm going to shirk the the knee jerk reaction to come up with a categorical statement about how or why any human outside of myself consumes media. I will say this: some days, escapist media functions for me to get me out of the drudgery, discomfort, and horrors of everyday life. And some days, for me, escapist media functions as an opiate that numbs me to the problems and allows me to sleepwalk through life rather than confront my problems. That's what I will say about escapist media. Yeah, not to be it too. Can dis- be both. Ta- yeah, ta- to, not to be too dismissive, Stephen, right. but like I read this, I'm like, poor game, no less dose. Like, right. um, uh, but then again, I did hear your response to the movie segment we previously did, and now I'm very much leaning towards opiate of the masses. Mm-hmm. That's totally reasonable. So, yeah. I see you stoked. <laughs> I just like, um, the reality is um, sometimes I want to turn my brain off and uh, just be somewhere else. And sometimes I uh, am very cognizant of what I'm doing and recognize that the thing I'm watching, I've been watching some Winona Earp, for example, is terrible, awful. Uh, I cannot put a value dollar amount on that hour that makes it worth what I'm doing. Um, But I wanted to take a couple hours and not do anything. And so here we are. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I... Not only would do I not want to say people should or shouldn't do these things, I think I think that at least for me it, it serves both. I think it also depends on your life experiences. I know uh, I know personally some people who have a very tough life, like they they have to deal with a lot of you know adversity. People who are assholes to them and that kind of thing. And like having escapist media that lets them, especially ones with good representation of like people that they can identify with. You right. Know, like, right. Uh, I eat. You know, for example, any you know media that has non-white dudes in it. Like oh wow, and these people like really identify with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and non-white, non-white, non-straight. You know, people. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. basically, uh, so. If, for us, it may not be as important because, hey, we're the majority. We don't, you know, we don't have to deal with a lot of shit that other people do. Um, right. And so, for them, it's more important to have something uh, that that's positive. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it certainly could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes complete sense. So it, it really depends on your where you are in life, too. Right. Yeah, Maddie. 
Thoughts? Yeah, for me, it's definitely both, but I'm very aware if I am using it as an escape, the thing that I am escaping from is very much in the back of my mind and I know I need to get to it. Sure. So it's not quite that perfect escape for me. Yeah, I think that's a good way of treating it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we'll get back to it. It's a circle Mm -hmm. around. Cool. Uh, Caleb, last question. All right. uh, James Burns asks, why does bad beer exist? Do we have people in the world that just want to punish the rest of society? Um, I have many answers to this. So my first answer is that brewing beer is very, very hard. It is an extremely complex process with a lot of very scientific variables, any of which can go wrong for any number of reasons. Like it's literally down to a single bacteria at certain points. So um, sometimes it goes bad, but you've already spent the money doing it, and that's what marketing's for. So that's a reason bad beer exists. Uh, Other is the difference in taste. Some people legitimately find different things enjoyable, and so that's always going to bring a bad beer into existence. And then um, there are people that hate us. Stillwater Artisanal exists, Mm -hmm. and they're out to get you. So it's really all three of those reasons in a bizarre combination. You're really just trying to pick between them. Um, Seems fair. I um, I am legitimately curious here. I know that most of the time we kind of treat our, our rating systems as these like ironclad, obviously scientifically backed, proven empirical ratings of beer. But the, the reality is none of that is true. It's all bullshit, and everybody tastes things very differently. I think we're pretty clear that this is bullshit. Well, I hope certainly hope yeah, so. I, mean, I feel like I don't think at any point we've, you know... Uh, described ourselves as the true mixologists right. or the brewers extraordinaire with the you know objective impeccable golden sure. tongues. Well, like, in case we had, I'm just yeah. going to need to take that out of context at one point. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Um, asterisk. Uh, <laughs> I I would be interested if there is an objectively bad beer. Like empirically, everyone based on uh, a variety of different factors knows that this beer is bad. I would be interested in that search. Alternatively, I'd be interested if there's an objectively good beer. We need a polygraph because. Trolls and contrarians, I guess. Like, sure. Someone's going to go out and buy that bacon beer and be like, it's the best thing I've ever had. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because those people have Someone liked that beer. problems. But, yeah, I mean, well, there's always poly. bad beer, like beer that's gone bad. So, like, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I don't know. It's an interesting question. It got me thinking a lot today. Uh, also, uh, in the same vein, I was like, yeah, but then... It just, it, I think it's There's probably, probably some novelty beers that were objectively brewed to be taste bad. Yeah. Uh, so that can, we've had some. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, on that note, um, we're going to grab another hopefully not bad beer. And um, Maddie has given us a terribly interesting jukebox in the back topic. It is, I, w- I dare to say, our, our most provocative topic yet. Yes. <laughs> we'll be right back. Maddie, what are you drinking? I am drinking Rusty Rail Brewing Fool's Gold Peanut Butter. I can't even have Hefeweizen. Hefeweizen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very German. It, Hefeweizen. It definitely smells like peanuts, so. Um. Hmm. I'm interested because I've heard porters, and there are some quite good ones, yeah. but I've never seen a peanut butter Hefeweizen. I'm very interested in combining those two things. Uh, she looked it, puzzled. It, it is definitely peanutty. Uh huh, uh huh. I, yeah. Mm. Is it good? She's going back. Good She's heading back in there. There's some legitimate confusion I mean, for people. There's nothing wrong with it, but it tastes like peanuts, which it should. So I guess it's a, a three? That'd be cheddar. A cheddar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds cheddar. right. No, nope. Let me get in there. That sounds like yeah, an accurate description of a three. get in that. Nothing it, wrong with it, but does what it says. Yeah. Yep. But what three. it does is not extraordinary. Right. It just, right. It's like it's drinking peanut butter. So, um... 
I've had some fantastic peanut butter porters in the past, and um, I don't think the Hefeweizen is thick enough right. as a beer. Yeah. It's, in terms of consistency. That's when it weird. waters it down, the, the, the peanut butter taste combined with that, it seems wrong. Whereas if you have it in like a porter or a stout, it seems thick enough that you're like your brain doesn't like freak out from the disconnect in yeah. terms of the tactile sensation. But I think the disconnect between the the texture <laughs> of what you're drinking and the peanut butter is really taking it down. It is. A There's notch nothing for me. bad about the taste. No. It definitely tastes like peanut butter. Yeah. It just makes it but but it's so light and the the pairing is so odd that it just makes it taste like a weird Hefeweizen. Yeah, the the lightness is yeah. too bizarre for me to get over. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think a 3 is where that lives. The, yeah. the frankly the the ambiguity around the whole thing could make it a 2 for me. Hey, Maddie, we're in a jukebox in the back which was our number one vote getter. Stunning. Yeah, what? Um, <laughs> but maybe it's just a question of time. Um, and uh, you have asked us a music-related question, and that question is... Uh, yeah, what are the worst songs to play in the bedroom? <laughs> uh, so, so I got this, and like the instant I read the question, the first song I had came into my brain. So I just disqualified yeah, it, because... No, yeah. <laughs> Um, can we obvious. can we all agree that George Michael's father figure is on everyone's <laughs> list before we start? I mean, put yeah, your yeah. put yeah. your tiny hand in mine. Yeah. That song is fucking terrifying. You're not in a bedroom. You are tied to a chair in a basement with a single lonely swinging light bulb. It's weird. waiting for the killer. You to just return. hear the leather of the gimp suit. Cool. Yeah, no shit. Like yeah. uh, it's so. Okay, we can all accept that George Michael is number I, number zero yeah, on I, every list. I didn't put it on my list. That's yeah, correct. Okay, yeah. all right. All so right. from there, we can actually make a list. So um, my first one mm-hmm. uh, is going to be anything by John Philip Sousa. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, so any of the marches, uh, Simper Fidelis <laughs> comes to mind. But, I mean, if you're in the bedroom, there's no... There's no nothing good going on in there. Like, either it's a crazy military dude who's afraid you're like going to steal his fluids or something, like some full blown uh, Doctor Strange love shit. Yeah. And then uh, if it's a girl, like who, who you've encountered a super crazy base bunny. Like she is been married four times, gets divorced every time they return from deployment. She is. Cuckoo, like, yeah, nothing good's going to happen in a bedroom where a John Philip Sousa march is playing. I'll say this. I'm pretty sure that Oliver North has had sex in a bedroom <laughs> with John Philip Sousa playing. So if you're doing General Westmoreland, Ollie North has done, just don't. Yeah. Um, okay, so I know that this is going to seem like a weird pick, but the reality is, let's see, it's like 1998. There are some, like, 20-year-olds right now who were definitely products of My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Like, some of you may be listening to this podcast at some point in the future are products of Jack and Rose, and you don't know it. But I can't think of a more... That's not a zero number. Right. No, yeah, exactly. Like, I cannot think of a more saccharine mood killer... For, and, and I want to be clear, this does not apply to all Celine Dion, because there is... <laughs> There's some bangers. There, there. are some gems some in that catalog. real club hitters. Okay? As, right. as the proud owner of not one, not two, not three, but maybe four Celine Dion CD. Don't say this aloud. Okay? <laughs> I I have some thoughts about Celine Dion. Are you French-Canadian? Where do you... What? Uh, Caleb, I can't even process. I don't see borders. Um, <laughs> uh, but this song, which... And I feel comfortable picking it, because I know that it was the premier song in the bedroom for like probably a solid 12 to 18 months circa 1997 1998 um number two on your list 
Well, I mean, if someone's playing that, the the girl's on the bed, and the man is inexplicably left on the floor, unable to crawl into the bed. Oh, well. even though there's room. Yeah, even though there's plenty of room up there. Um, okay, uh, Maddie, do you have one? Uh, yeah, Closer by Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> also a non-zero number, yeah. which is terrifying. Yeah. yeah, if they stop, he's like, all right, I'm sorry, I just remembered an appointment. I get, uh. Gotta go. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Uh, Caleb. Yeah, you don't need an explanation for that one. <laughs> um, it's I had to look up who did it. It's Q Lazarus's Goodbye Horses. Deep cut. You're about to be murdered, <laughs> all right? And not by an original murderer, by a guy who saw Silence of the Lambs and thought, yeah, that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the song's just ruined. Like, you can't hear it anymore without thinking about Wild Bill. Yeah. Like... Uh, so goodbye horses you're you're just about to be killed yeah. like and not even like a particularly interesting way mm-hmm. just like a, a real kind of basic serial killer which is you know insult to injury literally so mm-hmm. yeah um so i originally had inter sandman by metallica on here <laughs> and my first pick there was anything by metallica and then as i was driving over i got to thinking that like i don't think First off, that's happened. Let's just be that's, honest. There's about that. there's an entire subset of society that that, that our that product is doing that right now. That's right. Yeah. So then I, I got to think. Okay, what makes more sense there? And there's definitely like a collection of music that roughly fits together from like the late '90s, early 2000s, which I'm sure are also responsible for um, some of the finest among us. Um, but it's the like Radiohead creep uh, genre of music, but like the acoustic version where you think you're taking weird music and you're making it like somehow more <laughs> sultry or seductive because you've just you're just using a guitar or a piano and so what I landed one on was uh, Mad Mad World by Gary Jules from oh. Donnie Darko <laughs> you know people are hooking up to that song oh yeah in some real yep. sad depressing <laughs> like you know that has produced both a child and and summarily before or after a conversation about how fucking smart Donnie Darko is. Some was. real sad boning. Yeah, that's going exactly on right. that song. Yep. That yeah, that's true. You uh, have another one, Maddie? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Mission Impossible theme. <laughs> I, I don't know how much you've practiced doing a strip routine to that is not sexy <laughs> I agree it also feels like they're kind of trolling you like yeah. whoever owns the playlist on that one is just like uh, really n- not too psyched up for what's about going to happen feels I like just, a challenge I have, yeah. I, I, I have one okay. um, it's technically not music but uh, the podcast serial I just yeah I mean, maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ross. Yeah. Just some you vocal left, fry and like yeah. some court documents. You left Spotify on shuffle and it went to the wrong playlist. Uh-huh. You know, like uh, oh Jesus! Wow, uh, Caleb, last on your list. Oh God, podcast one. Didn't even consider that. Um, uh, anything by Macklemore. Good call. Uh, good old Good old days is really bad, and it comes to mind, but it only goes downhill from there. And here's the thing. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. You're not going to be murdered. You're not having sex with a psycho. You're about to fuck a mannequin that thinks it's a person. Like, there is just, there's an empty hole in that brain that they filled in with the song that they heard the most. And it's definitely Macklemore. And um, you're going to be in there looking for a bookshelf to see what they're into. And then you're going to realize there is no bookshelf. And then, yeah, it's, you're going to see the picture of the two ladies kissing and a Scarface poster. And yeah, you need to jump out a window. Like it's the only way out. So, uh, I just want to be clear. Macklemore is the worst possible scenario. Goodbye horses. Infinitely preferable. Worse than ICP. Yes. 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 Wow. Definitely. Yeah. There's a personality by ICP. (laughs) It's scary, but at least it's anti-fascist. 
honest. Like, yeah, yeah you're about yeah, to. No, you're, you back more. You're about to have sex with a automaton. Like, yeah. Um. So for me, uh, we lost Ross. <laughs> I was just trying to think, like, what would be what's something that I would like just stop and be like, no, <laughs> no. And the first thing that came to mind was who let the dogs out. <laughs> By the Baja men. Like, if that just came on, like, during an intimate act, like, I would be forced. It's going to throw your rhythm off, if nothing else. It's going to ruin everything, man. It's not just, it's not, rhythm is not the the most important issue there. Just the whole thing. Like, if, if if that just came on, and maybe you make it through... Maybe the, 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 the intro comes on and you're like, well, this is kind of funny. And then, like, maybe the first verse hits and you're like, I don't know. But when they start going, who? who like, you're done. <laughs> Everyone in the room is done. <laughs> Act over, date over, whatever we were doing over, and probably never happening again. Uh, Maddie, you got a last you one? You literally just stole my last one. Oh, good. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, maybe anything by Barry White because it's too cliche. Oh, yeah. Just... Two on the nose. No. We get it. We get what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. You. Don't do it. Um, okay. Well, thanks for that question. That uh, was the best jukebox hack we've ever had. Oh, 100%. And it's not close. It honestly might make jukebox, jukebox in the back popular again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Uh, hey, we're on to Benjamin Benjamin. We'll be right back. Caleb, what are you attempting to drink out of a growler using the Ron Swanson lean method? Uh, it's the only method. Yeah. It's taught to the every boy in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, the I boys. am going to drink Lost Signal Brewings, which is a local brewery, mm-hmm. Under the Tower Sour. Mm. Mm-hmm. Under the Tower because it is a signal tower. And we just have a bit of a growler left and why dirty a glass? That's right. You know, we, we care about the earth here at the mix. Caleb is using a 64-ounce growler. He's now... Well, a he's, jug size. Yeah, he's making it work. The, wow. wow, he's really going. Well, I mean, if you've done all that work, just keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does not seem pleased. <laughs> well, oh, he's, he's going again. There's something quantity that makes, has a certain quality. Yeah, there's something that makes your I don't like this face less serious when you're holding a growler like that. <laughs> um, it's not good. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate to like say how that. not good. It's too not good, but mm. it's it's threatening to be a one not mm. good. Mm-hmm. If that weren't fresh from the brewery, and you had that after it sat for a bit, that would be <coughs> oh god, that's terrible. Cough medicine-y. That would be um, like the fact that it's fresh is the only thing oh elevating it to two. But it, the aftertaste, yep. it is a little pukey. Um, it is not great. It tastes like the inside of a shoe store. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is not. It is not a delicious beer by any means. Sorry to say it, Lost Signal. Um, try again. Uh, I, I'll I'll try it again. That's a Footlocker. Yeah, it's really not bad. it's not great. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna be nice and give it a two, but like this thing is like two days away from becoming a hardest one I've ever had. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. Watch out for that goat cheese. Yeah. Um, hey, we're into Binge Benger, uh, where we talk about TV things. And recently, uh, <laughs> some of us, all of us, many of us, I honestly don't know how many, finished Luke Cage season two on Netflix, mm-hmm. and we wanted to talk a little bit about it because honestly. I thought it was kind of good. I liked it better in season one. I think I did too. 
It doesn't have the weird uh, drop off after you lose Cottonmouth. They they yeah. kept the, the compelling villain all the way through. Yep. And they realized that no matter how evil it is, he's compelling and you're going to root for him. Yeah, that's so exactly they right. kept that conflict going up. That's the trick. Uh, Bushmaster the, is deeply entertaining to watch. Deeply entertaining. And the thing that, outside of Punisher, who's only a villain for like half of a Daredevil season, had been the, the thing that the Marvel Netflix universe had been missing for me was a compelling villain. And I find Bushmaster compelling. I even find Mariah Dillard Stokes a little compelling at various times. Oh, yeah. Um, I will say this. So uh, first episode of Luke Cage got me a little bit concerned. So if you've seen Luke Cage season one, um, you know, kind of at the heart of Luke Cage and what distinguishes it in some ways from its counterparts, its contemporaries, is this emphasis on music, right? That music is kind of at the core of Harlem and so therefore is at the core of the Luke Cage narrative too. And there's some wonderful music in the first season. Well, in the second season, they immediately go back to Harlem's Paradise, which is the club where most of the music takes place during the first season. But um, And a set they've already built. That's a, Yeah, and a set they've already <laughs> built. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was a little bit concerned that we were getting into True Detective Season 2 problem, which was I couldn't really put my finger on what was good about this thing, so I've just reduced it to its constituent elements, and people seem to like the music, so we're making music again. And to be fair, the first episode was a lot of exposition. They had yet to introduce um, Bushmaster in all of his glory, which kind of becomes the centerpiece for most of the, the season alongside Mariah Stokes. By episode three, I was totally out of that mode, thought that they'd really introduce a compelling storyline and villain. Definitely a moment of risk for me there. And and the music's intentionally interesting to me because um, while it is very good music, it also has all of its teeth removed, which is very much Mariah Stokes' ethos for the majority of the show. Yeah. Sort of trying to go straight and then sort of... So, like, you have, like, these great acts, but they're all, like... B.B. King Jr., right. Damian Marley, yeah. like the sons of like traditionally popular yeah. uh, Gary Clark, yeah. you know, black performers. Um, and it's like very jazz focused and something like that. You don't have, and you really don't get rap until the right. very end. Right. Anything with teeth until you have like members of Wu Tang rapping about Luke Cage. Yeah, KRS One. Yeah, and KRS One yeah. and stuff like that. So. It's still, you know, kind of dated compared to Cottonmouth. I think Cottonmouth definitely had his finger on the pulse. Oh, yeah, more that, so than anyone running that Jadenia shit in uh, season one oh, is Jesus like still Christ. one of my favorite yeah, songs. Fantastic montage, but yeah. um, the the music choice was while simultaneously being good, very intentional for characterization. Yeah, which I, I thought was super interesting. Totally agree. Also, they treated Luke Cage in the favorite way that I've ever seen, in that he sort of regards the hero act as sort of fundamentally hopeless from a uh, institutional level, mm-hmm. and sort of. You know, the the Azarello Luke Cage and things like that, where he just gets in the street, becomes your average player, but is not there for profit, there just to think here he's in there for profit until he fucks you up. Yeah. Uh, and stops you from doing your evil thing in a way that's more permanent than just some dude in yellow spandex beating you up. Mm-hmm. Like, and then the sort of push pull for like being that kind of powerful in that sort of perspective where you're also kind of playing the game with them. Yeah. I thought that was a wonderful arc for totally the season. I, it, and it was very much better than the origin story of season one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it, it was a distinct level of change. Uh, the the finale, and I don't want to give too much away here if you haven't watched it. Have you watched it yet? I have not watched Luke Cage at all. Oh, uh, damn. Besides what he's in in the... Defenders? No. Um, lady person. Oh, Jessica Jones. That, yeah. yeah. 
that you watched season two yet? The Luke Cage? Okay. Ross hasn't seen it either. I don't want to give too much away. What what stunned me is that the 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 13th episode, the finale to season two of Luke Cage, there's functionally almost no violence. I mean, it's all it's all like exposition for yes, the next season. It is season. very much a denouement. Yeah. It, it's very it was a really interesting approach. Mm-hmm. Um and the violence was well choreographed. Yep. Um very well done. D- they made Danny Rand not infuriating yeah, to see on the screen for, for more than 30 seconds. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, he's kind of like, he's kind of a joke about Iron Fist in the first place, but they treat him like a weapon and they choreograph some great fight scenes around him, which was wonderful. I mean, I thought it was the best use of Iron Fist yet. Super low bar. Uh, and that I didn't want him. It's like to someone brought leave. me a really huge, ugly rock. Like I'm not sure why I wanted this big, ugly rock right. or to look at it in my yard, but you carried it. And that is in itself impressive. Yeah. Like, right. good. You're very strong. Yeah. I will. I will give this to you. I didn't need this. Right. And it's here now. And I, I guess I have to take care. Of, you're taking it away. I'm even more impressed. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Carry the big heavy rock elsewhere into other narrative territory, so I no longer have to stare with it. It's sort of impressive as like sort of like a, a challenge yeah. narratively. Can I make? Caleb do anything but hate Iron Fist, and yeah. they pulled it off. Um, Caleb's one, a master of metaphor, by the I'm way. He saying. really is. Yeah, <laughs> MA in English, folks. Yeah. Um, one interesting kind of narrative element to me that stood out. I think your observation about music is absolutely correct and interesting. Um, I was fascinated by the multiple references to different types of power in this season. So for Luke, power uh, because he's come become kind of like corrupted by his own narrative, right? Like he's drinking his own Kool Aid. Mm-hmm. He is strong. He is bulletproof. He's going to take care of problems. Um, that gets juxtaposed to um, the reintroduction of Luke's father, who is a pastor, who talks at length about the importance of faith and God uh, as a way of finding peace and context in the universe. Bushmaster, who relies on this kind of like holistic medicinal the power approach. power of fear. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Mariah, right, whose, whose power is... Technocratic. Technocratic, right. Institutionalized in the streets of Harlem. And so watching... Uh, watching all of these kind of structures at play and watching the characters navigate these different discourses of what it means to be true to yourself, powerful, etc. I thought that it made for some really interesting dialogue. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, what could have just been 13 episodes of Luke Cage throwing people around, which I also probably would have enjoyed. And also, I'll be clear, they got rid of Claire and they got something out of it, yeah. aside from the fact that we don't have to deal with Claire. Right. Which is which is not uh, a diss on Rosario Dawson. I think she does an excellent job doing what she does but like the only through line they can figure out for her in yeah. the defenders yeah. is to be like whiny <laughs> right like whiny about whatever heroes are doing yeah. um and yeah whiny and like medicinal plot point right medically trained and, and um the fact that they got her out of there quick and made that part of luke's sort of mm-hmm. descent or rise yeah. and we don't know either which which is also cool yeah um, I'm pretty psyched about that. Yeah. That was interesting. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely worth checking out. Um, probably not my favorite of the Marvel, Marvel seasons, but it's probably third. It's probably like Punisher, Daredevil season two, Luke Cage season two for me, mm-hmm. of the Netflix stuff. It's definitely up there. Primary uh, as compared to a lot of the other stuff I've seen on, on that platform. So anyways, that's our thoughts on Luke Cage season two. We've got a drunk enough next on the other side. We'll be right back. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? So from the Platform Beer Co., this is the Smokin' Fine Apple Goza. 
Fine get apple. It. It's from their, see what they did there. Their twelve kettle series. So they did uh, twelve ketters, twelve kettle sours, twelve releases in twelve months. That's really cool. Good for them. Yeah, cool. Uh, I've never had anything from this brewery. I don't think. I'm I think sure this is an origins. Ohio one. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's kind of like a. It's we got a it from Jeremy, can. I believe, maybe. Yeah, it's can. It's got a sort of simple but interesting design. Um, white colored looks can. a little like a Stillwater can, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's pineapple smoked sea salt. And then tart is the How third word. Smoke sea salt. Well, also not an ingredient. Um, <laughs> um, that is, for as much as I think I should be getting out of it, I'm not getting all those things. That being said, I think it'd be good on draft, uh, and I, it's not bothering me. So it's a three. It's a cheddar. Um, it's fine. You can definitely get the salt on the back end. There's a little pineapple in there, but it's not. It's not offensive, but nope. it's not... That's exactly right. It's not shooting me to the moon or it, anything. It couldn't be more in the middle of mm-hmm. everything it's trying to do. So it's a cheddar. Good good for that. Um, hey, we're in a drunk yeah. enough club. What are we talking about? So um, my thesis sort of question here is uh, how do you resist your urge to show off in subjects in which you're closer to an expert than a novice? Um, so it occurred to me, I, I lifted home last night. Um, not because I was drunk, just because I didn't have a car, which is a rarity. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the I was carrying board games because I was over here playing with them. And my Lyft driver, and I've had a conversation with board games a couple times with Lyft drivers because, you know, thankfully the hobby is growing that much Yay. that we're reaching some sort of cultural consciousness. Bubble. Said, I hadn't played those before. What do you have? And I, and I you know, told them the names and I told them what they were about. But... Um, then he's like, oh yeah, have you tried Settlers of Catan? And I literally had to tamp down like the urge to say, man, I have an armful of heroin here and you're asking if I've tried weed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I'm doing fucking crocodile over here. Like I'm, 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 I'm home brewing drugs and making my own games. And you're just like, have you heard of Tylenol? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I wanted to be like, yeah, man, mm-hmm. tried. but he's just like interested in games. So I tamped that down. But here's the thing. I had that urge. I wasn't particularly tired. I hadn't had a bad day. I tamped it down, and I was an advocate for games. There we go. But I know that in another world, when I've had a worse day, and I'm just, like, biologically less capable of doing that, I have been that dude. If not about that, about something Mm -hmm, else. mm -hmm. Um, So... I also realize that, like, and a lot of what dr- my drunk enoughs are about is about, like, realizing I've made a decision and realizing I have no rational system for making that decision. Yeah. Other than there's, like, I have the ability to resist the urge versus I don't. Um, and so that's the kind of thing. Like, something you're sort of an expert upon. How do you sort of tamp down the instance to, like, talk about that? So I have, like, very recently some idea about games, and, like, I, I wouldn't call myself an expert. I don't think any millennial can with the, you know, ubiquitous imposter system syndrome. But, like, education, I wouldn't consider myself an expert, but compared to people who talk about education, 99% mm-hmm. of with have never entered a classroom or know anything about it. I feel like I'm, you know, fucking John Dewey compared to, like, that kind of shit. Um um, some writing stuff, like uh, self-publishing stuff for certain. Being like, an any award nominee. Any award winning. And mm-hmm. I, I sound like a douchebag. But like all of us have that. Like I know like sure. when it came to debate, you were like pretty damn good by any metric of debate. And you often will actively avoid the subject. Will not it. do it. Um, and part. like th- it appears to me that's what you're doing, yep. sort of tamping that down. Yep. And, and Ross with... 
uh, hosting, producing, and podcasting, and Vapor all sorts wave. of crowdfunding. Maddie, the shit you've probably forgotten about engineering <laughs> is more than I will ever know, not to mention, you know, your audio work nowadays. So, like, I think we all have that. We definitely have fields. Um, and we definitely also have fields in which people are, like, somewhat interested in. Like, I know a lot of people pretend to know a shit ton about accounting mm. compared to an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a pretty common occurrence for me more so. And like, I, I just want to know, can I get some sort of like ideological stopgap system in there other yeah. than this? Like I can see it coming. Right. Cause I, I want, I don't, I never want to be that asshole. Yeah. Like, yeah. So as someone who is that asshole a lot and go and, or at least am, am always about to be, I do have to like actively like stop and be like, yeah, you know, you know some stuff about this thing. Um, maybe more than the people who are talking about it. I don't know. TBD. Um, so like for me, the thing is, uh, not how much do I know, but a, can I, can I answer the question and or provide context around the very specific thing they're talking about or B more broadly, can I add value? Uh, and so for me, the kind of like, can I add value anchor has been the way if, and when I have stopped myself from being like, yes, I have a lot of things to say on this topic. Yes. I have been involved in this activity or whatever for a long time. Do I actually have anything to say here though, that will move the ball forward. That isn't just me in some way, shape or form showing these people that I have a lot of information and have been in this activity a long time. And more often than not, the answer is no, which is why I actively don't get engaged in conversations about like debate or argument or any of that stuff, or try to avoid those kinds of things as much as possible. Cause the reality is I really don't have too many meaningful things to say a lot about a lot of that stuff. A targeted question to respond to, absolutely. A specific issue, yeah, I'd love to jump in. But more often than not, the thing that I'm going to say probably really isn't all that meaningful but for me showing that I have a thing to say. And so I'm trying to be better as an adult about being like, that is not actually an important thing to introduce into this space. Mm-hmm. That That's the closest thing that I have to a rule on this. And I am not going to say that I follow that rule anywhere near 100% of the time. I'm not biting off on that. Nope. Okay. Not even a little bit. Maddie? Uh. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, like um, Ross and I went to see Gua the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, Welcome to the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> because I work in audio production and stuff like that. Um, we found a spot that was like right behind the mixing desk, so I could watch what that guy was doing. Because oh, wow. while we're watching the concert and that was very entertaining, I could also watch this person work, which to me was very entertaining. Yeah. And there was one point that, like, there was two people working on this particular show. The first two acts were done by the house technician, so the guy from the venue, and Gua was obviously had their own touring sound guy with sure. them. And the second act that went on, they had an issue where one of their guitars wasn't playing right, and the guy was just over his head, flustered. And I'd been watching him work, and then watching him try and resolve this problem as the people are literally on stage yelling at him mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. and i realized that, that everything he's trying to do to adjust the levels he hadn't selected the correct channel hmm. while he was doing that mm-hmm. and I'm like, that it. is a simple thing that when you're flustered you're gonna fuck up mm-hmm. i can't tap him on the shoulder and say sorry but did you realize that you've done a minor mistake that's fair <laughs> i'm like one rude right. uh yeah. two i'm a female in the midwest i don't think that goes down well hmm. Uh, hmm. most places maybe hmm. Because, mm-hmm. like, I could see what he was doing, but he'll work it a out. A fair fear to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to... He is obviously a professional of some sort. The fact he is doing this job, I'm going to let him work it out. Mm-hmm. That's not 
my place to do, even though I could tell him the one thing he literally fucked up. Right, right, yeah. See, that would, that's a weird one for me, because there, that, that would maybe trigger that, like, does it add value? It does, and might move the ball along, and so I think... Yeah. I, it would be hard for me not to be like... It was very hard for me not to go, but buddy, right. pal... Push a different button. Yeah, right there. Mm-hmm. Right. Did you not see? You yeah, Just press the... Yeah. Well, I mean, that's also a very interesting perspective that I'm glad we have on this show of, you know, white dudes talking to each other about white <laughs> dude shit. Mm-hmm. Um, is that like, there is, a, there is a premise of, like, we're really talking about how do you resist the urge to mansplain... And that does probably come from a possessive privilege because it's not an urge to explain to this guy like when, as you correctly address, the likelihood of you being right, telling this guy how to be right with you would be taken as some sort of like assault on his ego, uh, which is not a non-zero probability for certain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Like that that very much changes the conversation. So I think that's important to inject in this as well. For sure, 100%. Ross, when you're sitting um, probably at a coffee shop in Seattle and, and sure. there, there are some folks <laughs> having a conversation about this synthesizer-induced music craze, <laughs> getting all the kids high, um, how do you stop yourself from jumping in and letting them know what, what the real deal is? Well, if we're talking specifically about Vaporwave, the answer is he doesn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And never has. Yeah. I mean, I've never met people in the wild talking about Vaporwave unless I was the one bringing it up. <laughs> Like, let's be fair. Uh-huh. It's pretty fucking niche, even right. in 2018. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there is that that sort of like, are you... Um, I feel like the best conversations are people with, like, within a certain range of knowledge. Like, you know, an expert talking to a total novice, you know, is obviously not going to be as fruitful of, uh, as, like, a journeyman talking to a novice mm-hmm. in terms of general uh, uh, skill. I mean... Yeah, it's trying to pay attention to the other party. If they're receptive, if they want information, you know, and that I have more about, you know, like podcasting, they ask me about podcasting, I'd be happy to explain that to them. But if they don't, um, you know, that that's fine. I feel there is sort of, I do, I mean, I do, a lot of people do try and mansplain and try and like, oh, yeah, I'm the expert at this, blah, 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 and use it as a way to gain credibility and power. And, uh, I try not to be that guy anymore. Um, right. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's it, it really depends on context. I mean, there's there's so many situations for it. I mean, and to be honest, like I like vaporwave, but I'm nowhere near an expert on it. I just listen to it. You know, I don't I don't make it. I I, uh, uh, I don't criticize it. I don't review it. You know, I mean, we could do that for the mix six. We no, could. we're good. We we're, we're fine. <laughs> we could do that. We're all I mean, great. Mm-hmm. Hey, listeners, why don't you leave comments about how much you want to hear us uh, talk about vaporwave on the podcast? Yeah. Why don't the ones of you that want that <laughs> comment i would be interested i would i would do i would do like a vaporwave one-off like yeah, we yeah. could uh, we could just do like a bonus episode where we just like listen to some vaporwave sure. clips and then caleb yeah. and i unloaded on you about why it was bad <laughs> i think people would listen to that i don't know you might like it i might look the reality is i've never even like dipped my toe in those waters because sure. i'm worried i might come out on the other a end of it a is convert yeah. right you yeah, well so i don't even know where to find it i don't even know how to, i don't even know how to find that so um I'm worried that I might like some of it. I'm going to be totally honest with you. And I don't want to give you that peace of mind. You don't get that victory from me, Peyton. Mm-mm, absolutely not. Um, you know, I think the other thing here, and I've been thinking about my answer, especially as I've been listening to Maddie talk a little bit, I think the can I add value question is a little bit of a problem because I think yeah. that in the in reality there, I'm the one that gets to define whether it's valuable or not. And therein lies kind of, you know, we're back to the, the, mm. the snake eating its own tail. Um 
So, so maybe a, a, like a more tangible way of saying that is, do I think that they've reached an impasse in the conversation and or there's a critical piece of information missing that could move the conversation forward? It, can I provide that? That's more important than I, well, hopefully that's more important than showing expertise. He said knowing that he absolutely hasn't done that in the past. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Maddie, I'm interested in you because like th- that seems to me as a very justified method to be like, not telling that guy that because like you can't expect the reaction to be positive. Yeah. But at the same time, like we talk about like, can I add value? Like sometimes if you're loathed for bringing an opinion, like if that opinion is widely expressed by other people are like moreover, the, what the person's doing is objectively wrong. Like maybe there is value in piling on for that, even though you personally will not get any value. In fact, might lose value for doing that. Does that make sense? Like, I'm wearing horizontal stripes right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if the queer guys were in my bedroom, I think they would have jumped on the grenade to say, <laughs> don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not good for you. And you know what? I wouldn't have appreciated them for that. But if they were among, among many people, perhaps someone could talk me out of doing it via the aggregate. Um, so, like, I do often worry that, especially in a- areas of, like, objectivity about certain subject matters, like, where it's, like, you just need to change the channel or something. Is there some sort of an act of selfishness of avoiding the conflict? Because, like, you expect the person not to hear you, but, like, ultimately, if you're one of many people, because it is objective saying that same thing, like, you will eventually be heard. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to sort of, I really like your system is what I'm saying. So I'm sort of trying to stress test it. I like the value added thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like you say, I'm determining the value. Yeah. Um, well, which is in itself sort of problematic. There's also kind of like the, it, the context also depends on who you're, you're, you're sort of talking to and like the, the, like, what do you want this? What do you want? Do you want to be known as the guy who can solve problems? And then like everyone comes to you dependent on you to solve their, you know, tech problems. Um, you know, if you, you listen to two family members at Thanksgiving, talking about how their email doesn't work and we go, oh well you need to do this to solve their email and then suddenly you're inundated with tech support calls and yeah. uh, messages so like <laughs> what like, is email exactly because my lecturers during my tech course knew that i came from an engineering course there was some moments in class where like uh one of my lighting lecturers was drawing uh like uh parallel and serial like um electronic circuits on the board and they've drawn them, written the like the scriptures, and then got just kind of stopped and looked at me to make sure they were correct. And I'm like, nodded, like, yes, you mm-hmm. did it. Correct. Uh, and yeah, they're like, cool, because you know more about this than me. I'm like, ah, should, I should I though? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, some some objective thing. Yeah, I mean, I think like. Um, uh, if you could point to because of some monopoly on knowledge you have out of experience, expertise, etc., and there's one thing that you're running into a variety of different circles where a critical piece of information continues to get misinterpreted, distributed, etc., and you have some expertise on that thing. I, I mean, I don't think it's bad to jump in objectively. I, I mean, I just think about like creative writing workshops, which generally have some terrible personalities in there. Yeah, but there's there's always one person who has like. Like clearly defined taste, but also the 
ability not to bullshit you. So like they will tell you when they like something and mm-hmm. then they will tell you exactly why they don't like something. Mm-hmm. And they sort of, um, in any creative writing workshop, no matter what you do, there are going to be people that shape that conversation. Yeah. And like I've been in far too many of those cause I wasted my entire upper educational career. But, um, I did always sort of appreciate people that like the conversation would be just full of niceties and sort of platitudes uh, about things that wouldn't change things. Right. And then the person would come in and say, the emperor has no clothes. Right. Now, rarely would the author of the story be very particularly appreciative of in that moment that comment was made. But the second it was made, as everyone started to really talk about the story and yeah. what they had issues with it, it became infinitely more useful, even though in many cases, the sort of opinion of that person in class did not raise in that story person's estimation. So that's what I mean. It it was an unwelcome opinion. That said, I'm very cognizant of the way uh, in which the internet has bred like the, if you won't want me at my worst, you can't have me at my best. Sort of like all love is tough love. I'm going to be an asshole and wear it as a badge. Like, yeah. you never want to be that person. I definitely but. think method of providing feedback and or expertise is also really important here. You know what I mean? That there's there's a really shitty way and a really not shitty way to say a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've always found um, that, like, uh, the, the people who I respect the most who have monopolies on expertise or knowledge in a, in a given situation, uh, the ones that I think resonate with me the most are the ones who at least deliver it in a meaningful, and that doesn't necessarily mean nice. Like I want to be clear, I'm not saying like it needs to be nice, but I'm saying that it needs to be meaningful or honest or direct or effective, whatever that looks like. Um, as compared to, I've also been in rooms with plenty of really brilliant people who wanted you to know they were brilliant, which is fine, but they've done it in such a way that it was unbearable. I mean, it was suffocating. Um, and, and, um, that's a very different thing for me. That's I think that's the thing that you're worried about here, not being that that person. Yeah. It is very different in, is the thing that you're saying hard science of X is equal to Y because that is a known fact within the area? Mm-hmm. Or my opinion is maybe what if X is equal to Y? Mm-hmm. Let that form a discussion. Sure, sure. So that is also another thing. of like yeah. You can be an expert in just adding to that. Right. Are you um, adding an interpretation yeah. or are you adding a fact? Right. Uh-huh. You, you got to be careful with that, though, because in anything that's not like light comes on, light goes off. There's a lot of tendency, especially in America, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to use the fact that an art or what you're talking about as a subject matter has any level of subjectivity right. to dismiss the possibility of objectivity, yeah, no, totally. which is, is extremely dangerous. Yeah. So I'll be like. Like I'll, I'll have kids that don't get good grades on things they haven't turned in, and I'll ha- I'll get the argument that it should be an A because it's just fucking writing, and who gives a shit? It's all made up nonsense anyway, and I and I can just still be like, but it doesn't exist. Right, like right. it, li- <laughs> they literally didn't give it to me, and I still have to have the argument is like, well, that's just your opinion. I'm like, um, but it's mm-hmm. but it's it's not though. It's physically. It's physically not present. Right. Um, and so, like, I am also very suspect of the idea that, like, because there's any level of subjectivity to the opinion, like, that's going to be used to dismiss the opinion, yep. yeah. um, which is which is also, like, sort of dangerous because, like, stories can just be bad. Outfits can just not look good. Like, right. there, yeah. there can be, like, yes, it can be an opinion, but, like, the golden ratio is a thing for a reason. <laughs> and it's been around for a while. Like, there are sort of aesthetic best practices if not hard truths yeah. um so yeah yeah i don't know I, 
I don't want to say that I have a system, a rule system for this, but I guess I do have some decision making. I think the value thing's better than yeah, yeah nothing, than nothing. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, no, it's an interesting question, and now I get an opportunity to uh, see if that's true the next time I run into an opportunity to say something or to shut my mouth. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to testing that. Um, hey, if you've been listening to this, it means you're a backer of a certain level or just a casual fan of the Mix 6 podcast, and we love you so much for being either of those things, maybe even both. Um, if you aren't already following us on Twitter, check us out at the Mix 6. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got a page and a group. You can check us out on YouTube. Just search for The Mixed 6 Podcast. We've got plenty of stuff there. And you can check out our website, www.themix6.com. And if you want to send us things, games to play, other things that we could review of a certain style of beverage <laughs> uh send it to the mixed six twenty one thirty one. definitely west, not beer though definitely not beer west republic road number 101 springfield missouri 65807 maddie thanks so much for being here again um this has been awesome we hope you can do at least one more before you head back to you know that other planet that you're hey. from um that would be great uh once again i'm spencer i'm caleb and this is the mix six podcast we'll see you next time